You are listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Today our conversation is with Bob Woodward, whose work as an investigative reporter has pried open doors and allowed us truly to be a fly on the wall to some of the most important decisions taken in Washington. He's currently an associate editor for the Washington Post, where he's been since 1971 and is the author or co-author of 18 nonfiction books, and of these, 12 have been number one national nonfiction bestsellers. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Foreign affairs is an area where the president has a great deal of discretion. What do you think will be President Trump's priority? He's made very clear that he wants to get out of a lot of these wars and a lot of overseas commitments. So the plan is some sort of pullback. Whether that actually happens, we're going to have to see. Many people, particularly in his party, the Republican Party, who think that could be a disaster. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure to continue engagement, whether necessarily wars, we don't know. But I think his commitment to some sort of change in that field is strong. Now, becoming president, having that authority, we're going to see. It's going to depend very much on who he picks as Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, who his National Security Advisor is in the White House. And all of this seems to be still up in the air. At least at this moment. I mean, maybe tonight we'll know some of it. I'm glad you mentioned becoming president because last weekend your national security column addressed the process around which the president-elect learns about the intelligence capabilities and operations. How do you think he perceived that? And what is the process? There are three key briefings. One is sources and methods, the real important sources and methods that are so top secret they are not known to very many people. And they give that to the president because the president needs to know is so-and-so I'm dealing with in a foreign country on the CIA payroll? Do we have a bug in the prime minister's office? The second category of briefings are covert actions, decisions made by the president to take secret action abroad without the U.S. hand being known to change events, support a political party, try to sabotage some operation some country is doing. And these are often very dicey and risky. The third category, military operations, including the contingency plans for using nuclear weapons in extreme conditions, which the president essentially has unilateral authority over. You know, it seems that each successive president has become increasingly isolated from the media, holding fewer press conferences, directing more control even over photos. To this point, as of today, slightly over a week after the election, President-elect Trump has yet to hold a press conference. And during the campaign, even went so far as to block some papers, including your own, the Washington Post. What recourse does the media have? Well, the recourse is to just keep digging. Uh, we didn't have invitations to the Nixon White House to come to the state dinners or whatever was going on over there. You dig and find people who know. I don't think it's a matter of press conferences and access. It's a matter, is the president going to explain, uh, in the case of George W. Bush or President Obama, I did multiple books on both of those presidents and was able to get top secret notes of National Security Council meetings, interview the key players, including the president, 
for a long time going through key steps in the decision-making process. And so efforts like that can open it up, open up the presidency for the public, and I think often in a equivalently illuminating way to a press conference. You know, last April, you and your colleague at The Post, Robert Costa, did an incredible interview several hours long with then-candidate Donald Trump. What were one or two points that you took away from, from that interview, and how long was it? An hour and a half, mm -hmm. and I say all the time, I've never interviewed anyone who's quite as skillful and masterful at measuring the reaction to himself. In other words, is this going down? Is this acceptable? Talking to people who've dealt with him over decades, said he's very good in a small meeting, uh, directing things. He told us he brings out rage in people, almost as if that was a good thing. I think that's worrisome if he thinks the president's job is to bring out rage in people. It's not. It's to do the opposite, to bring people together. We talked to him at length about all successful politics has to do with coalition building, bringing people in, building a coalition for legislative action or a war or a policy and that means reaching out and listening and we're going to see whether this man whose first book was the art of the deal is going to be able to deliver. You have such a long historical perspective. What would you say to the thousands of people across the nation that are protesting every night? Well, you know, I can understand the distress, but what are you protesting? We are a uh, constitutional democracy, and the process in place says he became president. I would say to people who are unhappy with that, deal with specific issues, work on those, advocate for them, work for things that you believe in, but it all has to do with individual acts. I don't think these protests are going to overturn an election where President Obama and Hillary Clinton, the loser, have acknowledged Trump will be the president come January 20th. You've written and thought so much about the Supreme Court. What do you expect to see with President Trump's handling of the Supreme Court nomination? Well, he's put out that list and he's made it very clear he's going to appoint a conservative to Phil Scalia's seat. If that happens and that person is confirmed, then there will be five conservatives on the court, but you still have the swing vote of Justice Kennedy, who sometimes votes with the liberals, so it wouldn't change the court that much. What would change the court? And I think this had a lot to do with Trump's victory. If Hillary Clinton had become president and put a liberal on the court with the four liberals that are there. And one more you would have, as even the New York Times acknowledged, you would have a liberal block, which could change constitutional law for years or decades. Many say that President-elect Trump will be a one-term president, which makes me wonder whether or not the 2020 campaign is, hasn't already started. The next campaign always starts. It's embedded in politics. but. You know, people to say he's going to be a one-term president, we don't know. No one knows that. The twists and turns it may take. I've just seen too many things in 45 years where I thought something was going to happen or it was this way and it turned out to be the precise opposite. So people ought to do two things, three things maybe, calm down, work hard at their lives and their jobs and what they 
believe in and monitor very aggressively what's going on in the new administration, what's going on with Congress, what's going on with foreign affairs. If I had to guess, but this is only a guess, I think the foreign affairs portfolio is the one that is probably gonna get the most attention and there may be the most dramatic moves, but it certainly gives us at the World Affairs Council lots to look at, doesn't it? You have more than enough for whatever work you do. Good luck. Keep Th your seat belts on. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for thank your years you. of reporting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Thank you.